Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. But it's good to be with you. News around town. News around town. Ellison's Bakery now accepts credit cards, if you didn't know. So you know where we'll be on Sunday mornings before the service. But other news, we're in the middle of our series on the book of Ephesians, entitled Together. And we've looked so far at how we are together blessed, that God has done for us in the past a great work, adopting us as His children, that He has given us something now in the present that we have been forgiven and we bring that with us wherever we go and that He has secured something for our future, an inheritance. We are together blessed. We've also looked then at how we are together bound. That as Paul picks up in his prayer at the end of chapter 1 on that last aspect of what it means to be blessed, that he prays that we would know where we're going. That we would know that it'll be worth it when we get there and that we will know that no matter what stands in our way, we're going to get there in the end. All in Christ. Together blessed and together bound. And he gives us the assurance, he roots our assurance that we're going to get where we're going, that God's going to get us there in what God's done in Christ. That's our example to look to. Christ, that He's raised Jesus from the dead and seated Him on high in the heavenly places from where we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. That's our assurance. You want to know that you're going to get to where God's going to get you. Look to where He's gotten Christ. But as if it wasn't enough to look to Jesus... Paul turns then from this cosmic example to the personal experience of every believer to give us even more an assurance that God's going to get us where we're going. And that's what we're going to pick up today in chapter 2 of Ephesians, beginning in verse 1. And I'm going to read it. Again, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and I'll read to the end of verse 10. You can follow along with me. This is God's Word. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. The trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us who believe in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, pray today that for those of us who have put our trust in Christ, that we would see with fresh eyes the wonder of our having been dead having since been made alive in Jesus. For those of us who have not yet been made alive, who do not know what it's like to be found in Jesus, and do not even know that we're dead, I pray that today would be the day we see him for the first time. It's in his name And I pray, amen. I wonder if you know the thrill of dumpster diving. I wonder if you know the thrill of dumpster diving. Uh, Jim and Jeanette McNichol are gone this week, but recently Jeanette was sharing with us her love for curb shopping or trash picking or street scavenging, all referring to different forms of this activity, which Wikipedia describes as a popular form of modern salvaging. And I wonder how many of us have experienced the thrill of finding treasure in someone else's trash. Do you know? Do you know what it's like? Some of you don't know what it's like. We know what it's like. I remember many occasions on which Catherine and I would drive up and down the alleys of Chicago furnishing our apartment with the discarded items of those who no longer saw the value of what they were throwing away. I remember that. And if you came over to our home, even now, one of our favorite things to do would be to take you around and point out to you those items that we found on the streets of Scotland or the Netherlands, or New York City, or now even small-town Sycamore. But there's a, certain, there's a certain sense of delight in each of those items that we rescued from the curb and gave a place of prominence in our home, but there is one item that holds a very special place in our hearts. Because we got this item from an actual dumpster, and when we got it, it was as dead as such things can be. It was dead, and it was a rusty old card catalog. Might not sound like much, but Catherine saw in this not just something we could revive, but something that would come and be a a centerpiece of our home. And that now 
hold some of our most precious possessions. I dove into this dumpster and hauled this card catalog, this dirty, dusty, rusty old card catalog out of there, and we put a lot of work into it, and even at a fair bit of cost to ourselves, but it has now become a centerpiece of our home. And if you were, if you were th- saw this card catalog, it would speak to you something, not only of this thing for what it is, but would, it would actually tell you something about Catherine, about her ability to see beauty where no one else can see it, see possibility where no one else can see it. That's what dumpster diving is all about. But did you know that God is also a dumpster diver? And not just any dumpster diver. God is the dumpster diver par excellence. This is how Paul portrays him in our passage today. Again, to assure God's people that God will do what God set out to do. So Paul moves from the cosmic example of Christ that he laid out at the end of chapter 1 to what God has done in the life of every believer who's followed Him. First, Paul does this by describing the dump which God finds them in. Second, by describing the way in which God salvages them. And third, by describing the reason for which He does it. All to assure us that God will do what God sets out to do. To make treasure where there seems to be only trash. Again, by describing the dump in which God finds us, the way in which God salvages us, and finally, the reason for which He does it. So we're going to look at today, and we're going to begin first with the dump. The dump in which God finds us. Or maybe better to say, the dump in which He came to find us, right? Because it's not like... Some of us who just stumble upon items on the side of the street. You know, God's a real dumpster diver. He goes out looking for these things. He takes the initiative, and the wonder of that is merely accentuated by the condition of the dump he finds us in. Paul says in verse 1, And you. And you. Whereas Christ died for a purpose, and in his being raised from the dead, death, being raised from dead, whereas he displays the power of God, Paul says, and you, you also display that power because he says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Just as Jesus was dead, you were dead. You were dead. But where Jesus was dead for a purpose, He was doing a work, you were dead by an accident. Not 
not by accident, but as an accident, right? You were dead as a consequence of your trespasses and sins. You were, you were dead. And that seems to make sense of these two words, both by commission of what we've committed and by omission, what we've left undone. Doing what God said not to do and not doing what He said to do. We were dead, a consequence of our trespasses and sins. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, doing like everyone else does. Following, he says, the the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now still at work in the sons, whether men, women, or children, of disobedience. Those who even now refuse to walk with God, but rather walk with the, the one in this universe who embodies everything that stands against him. You were dead. And I don't mean to be a downer, but it's worth asking if you've come to grips with this. That before God intervened, or without God's intervention, you were or still are a tool of his enemy. Because there's no Sweden. There's no neutrality in this war with God. You're either for him and against him. And as the story goes, we were all against him. And so we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. Recently, two individuals were, that we are connected with have come to Christ. They've each ended up in a church and they've each, for a period of time, sat under the word. And that's what God used to bring them to Jesus. But if you ask them how they came to Christ, their answers are very different. The one actually would answer you, oh, I've always been with Christ. I've merely come back. The other, though, if you ask them about this, will say, I finally see what I never saw before. I finally get, I finally understand what you've been saying for all these years. And I know that I'm alive for the very first time. It's not to take away from where the other one is at, but I'll just tell you that I don't think you can know the depths of what God has done for you unless you're willing to recognize the dump in which He found you. That we were dead. Often when we're showing someone what we've rescued from the curb, they'll, they'll ask if we have a uh, before picture. You know what a before picture, a before and after They'll ask us if we have a before picture because knowing the condition something was found in gives credibility to the one who found it. And Paul says, this is it. This is the condition God found us in. Verse 3 says that, that these sons of disobedience were those among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is the dump in which God came to find us, where He very well could have left us 
to be picked up and thrown into the trash compactor. And it's his finger that controls the trigger, the controls of that trash compactor. He very well could have just thrown us onto the conveyor belt, into the fire. But instead, came after us. When we were the walking dead, lumbering along, driven by our desires, no sense that there might be more worth living for. And totally unaware that living for ourselves, we in fact live for the enemy. This is the dump. The dump in which God found us, which serves to highlight the wonder of second, the way in which God salvages us. And I doubt that there are two more remarkable words penned in the history of humanity than the two words that begin verse 4. But God. Could you imagine what life would be like if there was no but God? And some of us may not know what life can be like with a but God. Even this week, late one night, one of our kids came wandering down the stairs and the statement when they came into the room was that they didn't think life was worth living. Now, our kids are young. Wandering into the room, I don't think it's worth living. Life was filled with too much disappointment, too much dissatisfaction, and they were too much disillusioned by it to even think it was worth going on. As an eight-year-old, some of us have seen much more than that. But in all honesty, I had to agree. I had to agree, and I told him that if what we see is all there is, and if we're left to ourselves, there's not much living to be done. There's no sense trying to make it better than it seems. If this is all there is, it's not really worth going on. But God, these two little words, there's, there's a reason to hope. But God, Paul says, being rich in mercy. He didn't need to do it. He's rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. You see, what Paul's saying is that the cosmic example of God raising Jesus from the dead and seating him in the heavenly places was not only the pattern for what he did with us, but also what makes it possible. He made us alive together with Christ so that what God did in Jesus is in fact the basis for what he does with us. I've never, never had one before, but 
This week, Emin and I finally got to taking some of the leftover pieces of wood from some of the projects we've been doing, and we built a workbench. How many people have a workbench? I've never had a workbench before. Now I have a workbench. Emin and I were building it, but Emmett, the whole time we were building this workbench, couldn't get over the irony that we were working on the workbench so that we could do more work on the workbench. But in a sense, this is what God has done. He raised Jesus from the dead not just to show and prove that He could do it with others. He did it so that He could do it with others. It's the way He salvages us. And it's the same It's the same in that sense. The way He salvages for Himself a people from the trash heap of history. So Paul says, by grace you have been saved. And God's done it now so that even today what we see of our lives with our eyes isn't all there is. Because God's not only made us alive together with Christ, but as verse 6 says, raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ. So now, the heavenly places from chapter 1 aren't just the realm in which we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, but the realm in which we now live. Seated and secure. And as a follower of Jesus, Paul says, you've got to realize that this isn't about some decision you made on your own, in some corner, by yourself. It's about a decision God made so that you're following Jesus now because God found you back then. And He's not only taken you out of the dump and given life where before there was only death, but also exalted you to a place no one ever would have thought possible. You live now with Him. So that no matter what happens in the 80 or so years you're in this life, your future for eternity is secure. And you can know Just as we heard Paul pray last week, where you're going, that it'll be worth it when you get there. And that no matter what stands in your way, you're going to get there in the end. Because he's already paved the pathway by raising Jesus from the dead and seating him on high. And he's already put you on the pathway and begun the process by raising you as well and seating you with Him also. This is the dump which God finds us in. This is the way He salvages us. All to assure us that God will do what God set out to do. But third... We want to look with Paul at the reason for which he does it. He's done it and will do it, as verse 7 says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness 
towards us in Christ Jesus. He says, for by grace you have been saved. This is how God's done it. Through faith. A trusting in something other than your ability to do it for yourself. And more than something, someone. Because we all need a dumpster diver. He says, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. The only thing valuable we have is that we've been made in His image. And we have the potential of bearing that image anew. It's the only thing we hold within ourselves. The fact that He saw something in us. And more so, it's about His ability to make something out of us. And that's a compliment, not to us, but solely to the One who came diving in after us. And that ought to be a great comfort. Ought to be a great comfort. Because if this had anything to do with you or I to begin with, it would then be dependent on us to carry it through. Do you realize the amount of pressure we would be under if this had something to do with us to begin with? You know, I've been doing a lot of work around the house. One of the things we've been doing is building a room where no room was before. Ken Angler, he's not here this week, so I don't mind doting on him a little bit. Ken Angler's been coming over and helping me a lot. He's been helping a lot. And I feel like I've done my share, my fair share, right? I feel like I've picked up the wood. I've tried to do the grunt work. But this week, this past week, when we were nearing the finish line to take that hole in our house and make it look like a room, I found myself simply sitting down on a bench and watching Ken work his magic. And it is. It's like an art. And some of you, we've even talked about this. So I've been whispering behind Ken's back. It's like an art. And Ken even asked at one point, as, as generous as Ken is, he asked if I wanted to help. And I said, no, I don't want to help. Because I know if I help, for all the rest of the time we live in this house, I will look around that room and see the spots that I helped. So I said, no, Ken, you do it. Because I can't, and you can, and you'll do it right. Jesus didn't need our help. He didn't ask for it. Didn't want it. And honestly, we wouldn't have wanted to give it because it wouldn't have made it any better. God's done it so that He would display the riches of His grace in kindness towards us are in Christ Jesus. Paul says that the reason God salvages us is for the display of His grace. For, he says in verse 10, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul says you weren't saved from good works or because of good works, or as a result of good works, 
but for good works. That you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. And many see in this statement a nod by Paul to those who had come up against a Pauline theology or a Pauline perspective gone wrong. That Paul was always so overemphasizing God's grace in saving us that some who followed him later took grace where Paul never meant it to go. That grace meant there was no place for good works. And so they see in this statement that we were created for good works, a nod by Paul to those who had born with the Pauline theology or Pauline perspective gone wrong. For Paul to say, oh, there is a place. It's for this. It's not from this. It's for this. And it's possible that that's what Paul is saying here. It's possible that the good works Paul talks about are the good works we're left to do after God does His. Except that such a line would apparently interrupt Paul's train of thought. You see how it would sort of be out of place? Not to mention that such a nod to those who bore with a Pauline theology gone wrong, such a nod is a nod is slightly out of character for Paul. He doesn't really budge when it comes to theological issues. Do you know Paul? He doesn't really budge. And so I'm a little more inclined to think that rather than saying here that we're saved to do the good works that God prepared beforehand for us to do, Paul is rather once again using the language of good works that became such a hot-button topic in his day, that he's once again here using this language to say that we've been saved for the good works God will do, the good work of bringing it to its end. Because remember, that's what he's praying, that we would know that God would do it. And he prepared this beforehand, before the foundation of the world, if you remember chapter 1. That God would do what only God can. And while we walk in those good works that God will do, we live them out, we reflect that in our lives today. The good works, at least for Paul, are only ever God's to accomplish. It's a great comfort. It's a great comfort that from the dump in which God finds us to the way in which God salvages us to the reason for which He does it, it's all as an assurance that God will do. God will do what He set out to do from the very beginning. The good works in each and every one who follows Jesus that He prepared before the foundation of the world. Paul says that we are his workmanship. That we, we who have been created in Christ, that we are his masterpiece. 
What's the word he uses here? The word is poema, that we are God's poem, that our lives saved in Jesus are the poetry he's been writing since before the world began. We're the product of his creative activity and the display of all that God has done and all that he will do in the ages to come. And if this is about God putting on display his grace and kindness for all eternity, you can be sure whether you look to Jesus or you remember what God's done in your own life that God's going to do what God set out to do from the very beginning. Let me just end with a few reminders then. First, let me remind you not to forget where God found you. In the trash heap, tagged for the fire. And that should be both humbling and encouraging. Humbling because where we come from matters, and our journey from trash to treasure had nothing to do with us. But it's also encouraging That God is a God who delights in turning treasure out of trash. And that's encouraging for us, but it's also encouraging as we look at those still in the heap. There are those who would look at some of the stuff Catherine and I drag in from the curb, other people's curbs, and just shake their head with doubt that you could ever make anything good of it. But this is the kind of God we serve. So be humbled, because that's where you came from. But remembering that, also be encouraged by what God's done in your own life, and that there is no piece of trash wandering this world that God cannot likewise save. Second, let me remind you that even though I'd like to think, that even though I'd like to think that the good works Paul mentions at the end of verse 10 aren't ours, but God's, we're still meant to walk in them. We're meant to reflect that in our lives today. One of Catherine's songs on the CD she wrote, Teaching Kids This Book of Ephesians, I think captures this really well. She says, Everybody's walking, walking, everybody's headed somewhere. The question's not whether you are walking, it's how are you walking and to where. There's a question that for those who are walking towards God, are you walking in godliness. Because if you're not, I would begin to doubt whether you're walking towards God. So walk in the good works that God will do on your behalf. Also remember where you came from. But last, let me remind you that as much as we are individually picked out of the dump, we are salvaged to be part of something bigger than ourselves. 
I mentioned at the beginning how Catherine and I found that dirty, dusty, rusty old card catalog, and that we found it in a dumpster and saw in it something that not only had the potential to be beautiful, but also functional. What I didn't tell you is that when we found it, it was merely the shell of a dirty, dusty, rusty old card catalog. All the drawers had been pulled out, and we had to dig through layers of filth to find the rest of this card catalog. And we did, but we didn't find the drawers so that the drawers could sit by themselves scattered throughout our home. We found the drawers so that they could be part of the larger whole, something bigger than themselves. Likewise, God salvages us to be part of something bigger than ourselves. I've known a lot of people, a lot of friends who've started, happened to start restaurants in their lifetimes. Started restaurants. And they always say that you can tell how good your restaurant is because people vote with their feet. And you, as we continue on as KBC, in just a practical sense, have an opportunity to vote with your feet on whether KBC is going to continue to be your home. But as you do, remember, always remember, you have been salvaged not to be made beautiful and functional alone, but have been salvaged to be part of something bigger than yourselves. Remember where you came from. Remember that the good works God will do on your behalf are good works you ought to be walking in now. And remember that as we've been made together alive, and we are together bound, and we are together blessed, that as we've been made together alive, we are to live together and love together and labor together so that we can live together all in Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would know, as Paul prayed, what is the hope to which we have been called? What are the riches of your inheritance in your people and What is the immeasurable greatness of Your power toward us who believe? Not just because we can look back on what You've done in Christ in raising Him from the dead and seating Him at Your right hand in the heavenly places, but because in Him You've done just that for us. So I pray that we would know where we sit and the joy it brings You to reach into the grave and find enemies like us so you can put your grace on display even today in how we live together in Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us. 
For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.